Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It's Mike here with the podcast, and uh, today we're going to call this Improving Links in the Chain. You know, as we covered on the last podcast, forward earnings are picking up and have been for weeks now. Let's stay patient, though. I suspect that it's unlikely to make a huge difference in this upcoming reporting season. Instead, we've noted for some time that we expect the real improvement to show up more after Q3 reporting and onward. Until then, the barbell economy continues to roll forward and improve steadily, no matter the bearish rant. The focal point of the week ahead will likely center around two things. Anything which carries a whiff of Brexit risk, forthcoming aftershocks, should be expected, and the jobs number on Friday. While it could be surprising to the upside, my hunch is we ought to be ready for another weak number. After all, it has been filled with Brexit chatter for weeks now. The bottom line, prices have quickly recovered from the Brexit nonsense. Let's hope for more fear waves, though, and let's hope they arrive for value hunters before summer is up. Look at corrective waves as positive. Quick follow-up on the outside year that I discussed with you. In your last podcast, I brought a pattern to your attention, which could be forming in the technical structure of the market. The only reason I like to be aware of these things at times is there are certain circumstances where patterns become self-fulfilling. Citigroup pointed out in some research that there was a potential uh, to have a uh, what we call a bullish outside year for the S&P 500, meaning that the highs of this year and the lows of last year have both been surrounded by price in the 2016 range. In other words, the high of 16 is higher than the high of 15, and the low of 16 is lower than the low of 15, hence the description of an outside bar. Indeed, if we simply trade into the positives for the year and about 1% higher, we will have formed that outside bar. These tend to have ended in a significant way after very lengthy pauses in the past. Now, granted, we've had a couple years where the market has gone nowhere for basically 21 months. Could have gone to sleep before Thanksgiving of 2014 and woken up now and missed all the chatter. Here's the thing, though. This is only the third time in the history of the S&P 500 that we could, in fact, form this pattern. So let's think about that and stay tuned. Each one of the other times have been leading, have led to significant upside after that multi-month pause. Now, there are improvements. Investors' uh, expectations have been hammered for months by the impact of the energy cycle as we've witnessed. These issues have been, we feel, incorrectly tagged as deeply embedded within multiple sectors. The loss of momentum in manufacturing and industrial production has also been a concern. But the soft numbers can be attributed primarily to the reductions in those energy-related specific areas. 
The good news? Well, as suggested for months here, it's improving but being misunderstood. So let's talk about in specifics. The latest manufacturing, ISM manufacturing index, is up 4% year over year. Now that's interesting because it almost always leads to higher GDP readings, which means that we're technically probably working on a far better GDP number for Q2 and Q3 than we currently expect. One can see that in the trends, and one can probably be pretty comfortable that uh, our GDP quote-unquote weakness is falling by the wayside. The uh, second thing I'd like to point out is that the ISM Export Orders Index has also improved. Oddly enough, while everyone pays attention to Brexit, this data hints of underlying improvements in overseas markets. In fact, the latest report shows us just under 55% on the ISM Export Index. Just to give you a sense, 60 is a robust economy. 45 is a slow economy. So we're at almost 55. Oddly, remember, uh, we stand by the idea that overall Brexit, whatever becomes of it, will be a positive for the U.S., okay? Meanwhile, fear remains deep-seated as sentiment data continue to show. The fear gauges continue to tell us why rates are so low. Fear is deep-seated and is being registered through many channels. Oddly, this is a good thing for long-term investors. In the Brexit aftermath, yet another wave of refis, both corporate and personal, can be expected. Why? Well, (laughs) look how low interest rates are. They're standing in line to pay zero. That's pretty fascinating, actually. The point is is that any of this refi wave will yet again improve cash flows and cash balances. So the other thing people have been afraid of is deflation. In your late January podcast, I suggested that the stabilization of crude oil and its likely bounce back to a new trade range should clue us into some new inflationary readings versus the rampant concerns about deflation. Well, sure enough, the latest data shows that ISM manufacturing prices paid is higher than it's been over the last couple of years, primarily given the fact that uh, crude prices have supposedly recovered. Now, they have bounced back some, and we can sort of blame the increased prices on four months of rising crude prices. Once again, that confounded experts, but the more important part is that we can kind of say goodbye to the deflation concerns. In fact, as stated a couple of months ago, we should really start expecting signs of inflation. And by the way, that's not a terrible thing. A terrible thing. The masses have done so much preparation to fight against a repeat of 08 and 09 that a much larger event has been massively overlooked. Supply of almost everything is tight. The issue? In multiple channels, we're about to witness early waves of demand, the likes of which we have not seen for decades as Generation Y moves out. 
Housing demand is set to begin a move upward, which will last for many years. Given a complete misread and the current very low supply of homes, prices there are probably going to rise. And all of that will trickle down into other channels. Just wait. After years of being told deflation risks were a death knell, the chant of inflation should really stir up the bearish chatter. The point? It doesn't matter whether it's inflation or deflation. You're going to be told it's bad for us. Let's revisit equity risk premiums for a minute. Remember what equity risk premiums are. If you bought the entire S&P 500, what it earns is your interest, so to speak, to compare it to bonds. Now, bonds, as we know, are getting incredibly low interest rates. The spread is called the equity risk premium. And right now, it's as high as it's been all the way back to, believe it or not, the mid and late 70s, okay, with the one exception of the 0809 collapse. The bears like to point out that the P.E. ratio of the S&P 500 is about 15% above its long-term average. Here's the thing, though. That can be fixed in two ways, either a fall in values or an increase in demand, revenues, earnings, and stock prices. So everybody always assumes that, quote, revert to the mean means something is going to come down. Well, what if things just went up? The important data being overlooked points to the latter. That said, the P.E. ratio of a 10-year treasury is now 80. Think about that. Can you imagine paying 80 times earnings for a stock and being told you're being safe? One can argue the P.E. ratios of equities is a far smarter level of focus. Here's the reality based on long-term standards. As much as fear has blocked this possibility from view, given the terrible risks cloaking the mental horizon, this is an unprecedented valuation gap in favor of owning equities. Think about it. I can pay 80 times earnings to own a bond, which I think will be safe, or I can pay 17 or 18 times earnings to own a good company that maybe has paid dividends for, I don't know, 40 years. By the way, those dividends were all higher than 1.4% on treasury bonds. So post-Brexit, the earnings risk premium has gotten wider. Most important of all, EPS, earnings per share, is stabilizing. The biggest surprise after all the experts bashing results over the last five quarters, EPS reports overall show that they have only fallen 2.7% in the last year. Get this, a complete dismantling of a major sector of our economy, i.e. crude oil, the energy sector, and we only saw a 2.7% dip overall? That should be a clue for most. Now, well, our data suggests EPS is on the mend and quite likely to increase with the problems in the oil patch, mostly in the rearview mirror. The bottom line for investors, if profits merely hold at present levels, one can see a scenario where the expected return on equities can be significantly higher than the return on treasuries at a guaranteed low rate interest rate. 
Making certain you're focused on the barbell economy is critical. The data and snapshots above continue to prove same. Eventually, this will become obvious to the masses, but likely at much higher stock prices, as hard as that is to believe. A closing thought? Think about this. In his book, The Rational Optimist, Matt Ridley writes, and I'm quoting, Today, of Americans officially designated as poor, 99% of them have electricity, running water, flushing toilets, and a refrigerator. 95% have a television. 89% a telephone. 72% a car and 71% have air conditioning. Cornelius Vanderbilt, one of the richest men of his time, had none of these, unquote. I'm not suggesting here that inefficiencies, injustices, and inequalities don't exist today over the income spectrum. It's always going to be that way. Of course they do, and they always will. The bigger point is this. By comparison, we are living in one of the most prosperous times in the history of the world. We have a lot to be thankful for. More importantly, even better days are ahead for the U.S. and its economy. Yet, we have over $8.3 trillion sitting idle in U.S. bank accounts. Why? Because they're terrified. Combine this with a concerted drive to buy even more sub-2% bonds and you get the point that we should all focus on. Fear is our problem, not slow growth. Hope these thoughts have been helpful. We'll cover more in the next podcast. Until we see you again, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.